Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. He's such an icon that, like, you look at Willie and you know Willie. What I think is really interesting about him is that there's not a second Willie out there. There are, you know, seven things that uh, everyone in Texas can agree on, and Willie Nelson is four of them. The red-headed stranger from Blue Rock, Montana rode into town one day and under his knees was a raging black stallion walking behind was a bay red-headed stranger welcome to the opus brought to you by consequence of sound and sony legacy season four episode three the final episode of our deep dive into willie nelson's red-headed stranger i'm your host andy bothwell what you heard before me and before Willie was the voice of Dan Solomon, staff writer for Texas Monthly Magazine, delivering the truest, realest, most elegant summation of what makes Willie different from every other pop star, country singer, cultural icon out there. That everybody loves Willie Nelson. Joni Petoskey, who we heard from in the first and second episodes, he said he'd put him up against anybody. Beatles, Elvis, anybody. I'm not going to go down that road today, but in this day and age, you can find someone hating on anybody. Look in the comment section of any YouTube post, and you will be rewarded with a bounty of hate. One of my favorite things is to look at videos of cute animals, and then read the comments and find people hating on cute animals. Or find people hating on people posting videos of cute animals. It is incredible. In this glorious age in which we live, when people can find the energy to... Somehow I hate chinchillas. Everybody loves Willie Nelson. The entire narrative of our messy little epoch in which we're living is just how divided we all are. By our politics, our race, our class, our genders, our sexuality, how we feel about the new Star Wars movies. Heaven help you if you ever post a negative thing about Beyonce or Taylor Swift on the internet. Good lord. 
And yet, funny as it may be, there is a greater truth in what Dan Solomon said. There are seven things that uh, everyone in Texas can agree on, and Willie Nelson is four of them. I would assume those other three things have something to do with loving barbecue, loving tacos, and hating Oklahoma, but everybody really does love Willie Nelson. And it's always been that way. Since he stopped giving a fuck, grew his hair long, put out redheaded stranger. When he came to Austin, the hippies took him in and he joined the hippies. But when he would do those Fourth of July picnics, you would get the the truck drivers and the rednecks, people who didn't want to hang out with the hippies at all. They'd all go because it was Willie and they wanted to be a part of what he was doing. That, if you could replicate that, if anybody could replicate that, it would be really remarkable. And he was able to do it just by being himself. That's the thing that really makes him so special is that he wasn't trying to create a persona of Willie Nelson. I think that he had gotten really sick of that and, you know, was lying down on the highway in Nashville rather than try and keep doing it. He was able to do this thing by redefining what he could be according to what he wanted to be. That's the thing that makes him cool. And that's what makes everyone love him. No matter what side of the aisle they stand on, they all just say, oh, that's just Willie being Willie. We all love him for it. And this isn't a man who played coy with his beliefs or shrunk from conflict. I'm not talking about some polished Hollywood robot who doesn't speak a word that hasn't been market tested or approved by a team of publicists. This is a man who's been on the front lines of marijuana legalization and the promotion of marijuana as medicine decades before it was cool. Decades before it was safe. Decades before your mom started hitting you up on where to buy that good CBD. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. My favorite part about all of this is he's gotten busted multiple times. And did that make him tone down the pot talk? Not at all. It made him double down and partner up with the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Legislation, also known as Normal, to help lobby for the legalization of medical and recreational marijuana. You would not be hitting that Pax pen in your hand right now if it were not for Willie Nelson getting thrown in the pokey over and over again for marijuana possession. <laughs> There's this great story about him getting busted in the Bahamas in the late 70s. One of the first times he got busted. He flew down there to visit his old friend Hank Cochran, and the luggage got lost. They decided to head out on Hank's boat anyway, do some fishing, come back later to check on the luggage. When they came back to the airport to pick up the bags, they were greeted by a Bahamian customs agent holding a bag of weed they'd found in a pair of Willie's pants. Well, instantly deported, it became international news. Which is a great story, in and of itself. But before he got arrested, he had been invited to perform at the White House by then-President Jimmy Carter. Amazingly, President Carter did not rescind the invite. And Willie showed up, sang in the Rose Garden and sneakers and a bandana like always. After the concert is over, he and his wife went to sleep in the famous Lincoln bedroom. And just as they're falling asleep, they hear a knock on the door. It's President Carter's son, Chip Carter, who, informed by Willie's recent run-in with the law, came down with a joint and asked if he'd like to go up on the roof and get high. <laughs> so there he is, fresh off his deportation for drug charges, standing on the roof of the White House, Smoking a J with the president's son. Who else could get away with all this? It's just Willie being Willie. 
that's just him. The way he is. And the way he's been ever since the success of Red-Headed Stranger emboldened him to do whatever the hell he wanted. And it's made everyone love him. Look, for as liberal as Austin is, and for as lawless as the hill country of Texas may be, there are whole parts of Texas that don't take too kindly to marijuana possession. And yet, they still take very kindly to Willie. When he got arrested in Sierra Blanca, Texas in 2010, the judge said he would let him off if he sang Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain in the courtroom. (laughs) After that made headlines all over, the judge walked it back, said it was just a joke, and levied the standard fine. But come on. Who else is making that happen? And you could just chalk this up to celebrities getting special treatment, but it doesn't end there. Willie started Farm Aid in 1985. He raised over $57 million to help American farmers keep their land. He started his own biodiesel company, BioWillie, in 2004. He started running his tour bus, Honeysuckle Rose, on biodiesel because he was concerned about carbon emissions and, again, wanted to help American farmers. He's worked with several animal rights organizations to help rescue abused animals, especially abused horses and threatened wild horses. He recently bought 70 horses at auction that were all due for the slaughterhouse, and he keeps them on his ranch in Luck, Texas. In 2006, spurred on by the movie Brokeback Mountain and the coming out of his lifelong friend and tour manager, he released a cover of the song Cowboys Are Frequently, Secretly, Fond of Each Other, which, if you have not heard, is a fantastic song, and Willie does a fantastic performance of it. But we're talking climate change, we're talking animal rights, we're talking gay rights. I mean, not to generalize, but these are not issues that jive with a great deal of the country music target market. But they're all issues Willie believes in. And they're all issues Willie fights for. And somehow, that never gets in the way. I mean, go to a Willie Nelson concert. I was just at one three weeks ago. And when the lights would come up, I would turn around and look back so I could see everybody in the crowd. That is a very diverse group of people. Culturally, politically, socioeconomically, racially. And they were all singing along to Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys. I think the thing that makes him such an interesting, you know, entrepreneur and cultural figure and all of that is that none of it ever feels calculated. When he started his biodiesel line, he started the biodiesel line because he really cared about biodiesel. You know, when he has his, uh, his, you know, his weed strains and his hemp products, it's because he really cares about weed. Um, so he's just always going to be Willie and, and wherever that takes him is where he goes. Can I sleep in your arms tonight, lady? It's so cold lying here all alone. Back in 2002, I was working at a shitty corporate record store in Dallas. Rest in peace to Warehouse Music. Willie had just come out with his 50th album, The Great Divide. Not his best record. The title track's pretty good, though. I'd just seen him for the first time a year before playing some big rodeo event. Coincidentally, it was my first Willie Nelson concert and my first rodeo. Two things I still love today. 
He put on this amazing show. And I remember thinking, how old is this guy? (laughs) He was 68 at the time, which seems positively adolescent, considering that when I saw him just a few weeks ago, he was 86 and still going strong. I remember a promo poster for the Great Divide album going up in my store. And along the bottom, where a band normally puts the tour dates, it just said, Willie Nelson is always on tour. Now, my own music career was still in the dreams phase, but I remember seeing that and thinking, now that is what I want to be. Always on tour. Which I did. A few years later, I was sleeping in a Honda with my best friend and living on an endless tour. I was 20 when I saw that poster, and it still sticks with me today almost 20 years later. What are the 68-year-olds out there motivating 20-year-olds to quit their jobs and hit the road? A lot of times when an artist gets older, they get involved in other pursuits. It starts to detract from their art or nibble away at their work till they become more entrepreneur or brand or activist than artist. And then their influence changes. But not Willie. He was playing in an arena. I don't know. Maybe they played an hour. This is Jack Torrey, lead singer of a fantastic band called the Cactus Blossoms, who you may know from the final season of Twin Peaks, their work with Dan Auerbach, or you may just know... Because they're good. It was basically Willie singing and playing guitar with some accompaniment. I mean, but it was, it could have just been him. And it was, I never thought like, this is amazing for his age. I was like, is it 1975? This guy is insane. And he's shredding on the guitar. I mean, I, I didn't look away. And you know how it is when you go to a lot of music. Us musicians can sometimes be terrible audience members, <laughs> just chatting with our musician friends in the back. But uh, watching him, I just could not take my eyes off the guy. And it's, it's not because I idolize him. It's because he's, he's amazing. What I've loved about working on this season for Redhead Stranger was hearing the way musicians talked about this album. They speak about it with such a mystical reverence, like it's a beautiful hallucination that they're not sure anybody else can see. I compared it to Neutral Milk Hotels and the Airplane Over the Sea in the first episode, not just because they're both incredible concept records, but because the way people have spoken to me about Redhead Stranger reminds me of the way I used to hear people speak about Neutral Milk Hotel, about how I used to speak about Neutral Milk Hotel. Whenever I see a Redheaded Stranger record, I pick it up, and I, I guess I didn't realize I was doing it until one day a, a buddy was over at my house, and we were listening to it, and he's like, man, I got to get a copy of this record. It's so good. I, I said, I think I got, I think I have another one. Um, you can have, you can have whichever one is more scratched up. And I, I started looking through my Willie Nelson records and was like, I have three. <laughs> and there, there could be a fourth. So I, I put the scratched one in the, in the scratched up case and gave him that one. It wasn't too bad. Well, he wrote in. Dusty and tired, and he got in a room for the night. I used to do this. I can't tell you how many copies of it in the airplane over the sea, or Stakes is High, or Soft Bulletin, or Lonesome Crowded West, or Liquid Swords I burnt for people. I grew up making mixtapes for my friends and for girls, and half the joy of having that secret album that you love so much is letting someone else in on it, someone else that you love. 
But for a lot of us, we get old or we lose that, especially musicians. But everyone I talk to, no matter how many years they had under their belt, no matter how many miles they put on the tour van, they all lit up when they talked about Redheaded Stranger. It is a record I feel like I saw forever before I really knew what it was. That's Nathaniel Rateliff, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. They're currently on tour with Willie. They've worked with Willie. They're, he's putting out a line of weed with Willie's Reserve. And here he is just totally nerding out over a redheaded stranger, just like the rest of us. My parents didn't listen to much country, but, you know, Willie was kind of always the exception for playing country music in the house. Um because my parents are kind of hippies, you know, so. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I remember having a buddy who loved Redheaded Stranger, and it just, you know, for whatever reason, it took me a while to get into it, and uh, I'm, I'm actually just looking at it right now. I mean, I love Time of the Preacher. Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain is it's a classic. Oh, it's like an ember. It's a fucking great song. Love is like Dying in and only memories remain. And through the ages, I'll remember blue eyes crying in the rain. And the more I talk to people, the more this vast web of red-headed stranger-obsessed weirdos started to connect itself. At the end of the interview with Dan Solomon, he told me I have to check out Carlo Bozulich's work. Carlo's a, in a fantastic band in the 90s called the Geraldine Fibbers. Since then, she's done tons of work with Nils Klein from Wilco, Alan Sparhawk from Lowe, Godspeed You Black Emperor, some of the folks from Silver Mount Zion, you know, quite a list. But in 2003, for her first solo record, she performed Redheaded Stranger, the whole album, in its entirety. What I love about her version is how she's made it her own. While some of the songs are very faithful renditions of the originals, with Nils Klein playing a beautiful lap steel, others are long, open, mysterious. They introduce Far Eastern instruments like the Shruti box and layers of the slide guitar, creating this beautiful, exotic drone. It's really captures and expands on that trance the original record can set you in. It's, it's a mood. What I wanted to do was to get really, really into what it felt like to be that thrown off who and what you thought in your life was. This is Carla from her home in Los Angeles. and such a fantastic winding, beautiful conversation with her. She is one of a kind. You had your lady and you had your life and you had your horse and everything was cool and then all that blew up and so you got on your horse, just started riding. The reality of that would be very, very lonely. Lots of empty space riding through the West, you know. Getting just more and more kind of crazed about what went down and what is the story of, of the redheaded stranger. I was gonna do a pretty straight cover of the album, which I had been doing, you know, with the songs themselves for a while. And 
George Bush invaded Iraq. And the thing, obviously, about country music in general, you know, it's a, it's a pretty conservative audience, you know. And when Bush invaded Iraq, I just was like, I got to change the arrangements of these songs and of this music so that there's like a Middle Eastern feel that just weaves its way in and out of it. And, and that's when I added the Shruti box, started to just get into that, adding a different adding a different angle to the sound of it that, that gave it that feeling of, of where, what, where is this? this is country music, but where, you know? What country? <laughs> now, this may not be a version of Redheaded Stranger for the purists, but, and I love this story, it was a version for Willie. Uh-huh. All right, so he, I, I, I made the album, and our friend John Rosenfelder, who was working at Willie's label, he heard it and he really liked it a lot. And he's like, you know, Willie is such a personable guy and this is such a ruling project. I'm just going to give him the tape. And he gave him the tape and he was, he was like, well, that's, that's really, they really got something going there. I, I'd like to be a part of that. So that was it. I flew to Austin and we recorded at his studio. And, and uh, I got to get interrupt and say, for an artist to be so confident and so comfortable in their life and their work, they could hear someone take their masterpiece, totally transform it and respond like that. It's so beautiful. It's, it's so willy. I just was thinking I was going to make my, my little mark, you know which is, that's fine for me. I really think it's just irresistible. The spirit of his music is, it's just, whoever you are, you just go ahead over whatever your prejudices are or whatever, and, and you, just, you just get locked into it because it's so, so wonderful. His music is so wonderful. We're all damn lucky to have it. Who knows? Who knows how things would have gone if Willie had stayed under the thumb in Nashville? We may not have had this great album. He may not have had his great success, and the world may not have had the red-headed stranger who, at 86 years old, is still always on tour. I just feel with Willie, you know, now, like, he's just kind of a part of American culture. I'm going to close this out with this one last beautiful quote from Nathaniel Radliff. His voice, his playing, all of that is has been around in everyone's homes for such a long time. But it, it, you know, it sounds and feels like home. I think that's the nice thing about it, you know? It's just, it's so familiar. And I feel like, you know, him himself, there's such like a, seems to be a grace about him. What is he, 87 now? And he's still playing shows? That's amazing. Maybe that's what keeps him going. And I think you look out into the audience of a Willie show, and it's the same thing it's been since the hippie days in Austin. It's still a mixture of cowboys and working people and hippies and you name it now, you know, and now even younger people. And I think, I don't know what it is about him necessarily that brings everybody together, but it's a real joy to see. You know? A red-headed stranger from Blue Rock, Montana Rode into town one day And under his knees Was a raging black stallion Walking behind was a babe 
Thanks for being locked into this record with me for three weeks now. I have to say, we have a bunch of great albums lined up for the upcoming seasons of the Opus, and I'm super excited to be sinking my teeth into those with y'all. But this one, this one was particularly special for me. As an artist myself, still a few years off from 42, but getting closer every day. <laughs> I hope that I can have the courage and the confidence to bet it all on my heart the way that Willie did with Redheaded Stranger. And if I'm so lucky to win that bet, to have the humility and the kindness, not to rub my winnings in everybody's faces, but to use that success for good and bring people together, just like him. And with that, I'd love to thank my guest, Dan Solomon, in Texas Monthly Magazine, fantastic writer and has been one of the most helpful people in this entire process. Without him, I, I wouldn't have found Jonik Potosky or Carla Boslich. Big thanks to Nathaniel Rateliff for the Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. They're a great band on tour with Willie Nelson right now. Check them on out. Jack Torrey from the Cactus Blossoms. Man, Cactus Blossoms, such a beautiful band and such a smart guy. I really, really enjoyed talking to him. also want to thank Eric Pollard, musician Actual Wolf. Had a great conversation with him, but just uh, couldn't find a way to work it in. That's how it goes sometimes. And last but not least, Carla Boslich, the singular Carla Boslich. Thank you for being Carla Boslich. Hope you've enjoyed going on this journey with me, the redheaded stranger. Next season of the Opus is going to take a decidedly different turn in tone as we take on Ozzy Osbourne's debut album, Blizzard of Oz. Super excited for that one. So be sure to subscribe to the Opus wherever you get your podcasts. If it is Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. That sort of thing does help. You can find a bunch of great Willie Nelson playlists streaming on music services, all the music services right now. But, again, give Redhead a Stranger one last listen. While you're at it, check out Carla's version. It's a trip, man. For Consequence of Sound, Sony Legacy, I'm your host, Andy Bothwell. And this is the Opus. Consequence Podcast Network. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.